Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas vows to get tough on the border as Biden's poll numbers start to tank. Looks like reality may have finally dawned on the Biden administration. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Let's get right to it. Looks like the Biden team is going to have some explaining to do here if this keeps up, because we've been told, as you know, that they know how to handle the southern border. They know what they're doing. They've got this. They're not cruel like Trump was. They're not so mean and nasty, but we see the numbers and the numbers speak for themselves, don't they? The numbers make it very clear that they have absolutely no idea what's really going to stop the situation on the border. In fact, it makes you wonder if they really want the surge at the border to end. And now as we have people starting to see more news stories covering things like children who are dying because they crossed the Rio Grande and drown, children held in cages in incredibly cramped conditions, COVID spreading like wildfire. Here's a video of a child at the border who was abandoned at the border. It's heartbreaking. This is what's happening in record numbers. What you saw there, other young children, just like, just like that young boy, left at the border, lost at the border, some are even in very dangerous circumstances, just trying to cross over uh, and being dropped from, from the, the wall, uh, having to go across the Rio Grande, and some of them don't make it. And this is in numbers we've never seen before. The numbers are speaking for themselves at this point, although the media doesn't want to actually focus on that. But here's a number that they do have to look at. Biden border poll, uh, as of, this is from the AP, most recent information we can give you, 24% approved. That's also known as the hardcore open borders left of the Democrat Party. Disapproved 40%, and then 35% are stuck in the, well, you know, I don't really know, what do we do? But understand that only 24% of respondents in this poll, and keep in mind that polls are often, especially for places like AP, skewed to help out the Biden administration, the Democrats in general. Uh, this is a disaster, what's going on. That much is all very clear. In fact, it's so bad that they're starting to turn, it seems, toward, oh, I don't know, maybe Trump administration border policy. That's right. This is from uh, the Washington Times. In a conversation with Immigration and Customs Enforcement employees last week, Mayorkas 
was asked about his plans for the wall. He said that while President Biden has canceled the border emergency and halted Pentagon money flowing to the wall, that leaves room to make decisions on finishing some gaps in the wall. That's right, finishing gaps in the wall. So they actually are gonna build some wall. Why would they do that? I thought walls don't work, they told us, which is so stupid. We know, of course, walls do work. If you talk to Border Patrol, they'll tell you walls work a lot. It helps, even though they're imperfect, it makes traffic much harder, illegal traffic across the border much harder to do. And it means that the resources that Border Patrol has can be much more effectively deployed. But right now we're seeing a border that is entirely overwhelmed and is de facto open. And that means that they need to change some things like, oh, I don't know, Mayorkas also said that they're going to start pushing back on sanctuary cities that refuse to work with federal law enforcement for deportation of illegal aliens. Mayorkas said, now maybe he doesn't mean this stuff, but these are all things that Republicans and yes, Trump would nod their heads in agreement with that they would actually prosecute people who are caught crossing the border a second time. That's a federal felony. Getting, getting caught cross, uh, crossing the first time is a misdemeanor. You cross a second time after you've already been expelled from the country, that is a felony. Maybe it's time to start actually enforcing the laws on the books. That's what Mayorkas is starting to say. And maybe even things like the wall will be helpful in this process. Some wall, some wall. They don't want to talk about too much wall. Here's Jen Psaki at the White House. When the administration took office, as you referenced, funds had been diverted from congressionally appropriated military construction projects uh, and other appropriated purposes toward building the wall. And wall construction was being challenged in multiple lawsuits, in, for, for much of the wall, I should say, not all of it, by plaintiffs who allege serious environmental and safety issues. Under those circumstances, uh, federal agencies are continuing to review wall contracts and develop a plan to submit to the president soon. It is, it is paused. Uh, there is uh, some limited construction that has been funded and allocated for, but it is uh, otherwise paused. There's some wall building still going on. And they need some additional wall building down there, don't they? Because how are they going to stop us? I mentioned you, Mayorkas and prosecutions. This is also from the Washington Times. This DHS secretary said he's preparing to take on sanctuary cities, as I mentioned, that refuse to work with immigration and customs enforcement. Wants to see more legal immigrants face prosecution because, my friends, it is all about incentives. If you do not prosecute people for crossing the border, they will not stop crossing the border illegally. If you do not crack down on sanctuary cities, you will have failures of law enforcement in the process of deporting people who in some cases, we're talking about who's getting deported. If they're high on the list, it's usually serious criminals. It's usually people that are actually are a threat to public safety. But if you're an illegal, there are whole jurisdictions, many of them across the country that will not help federal law enforcement one bit, not even a little in order to try to help enforce the law. So they can either turn to actual border security enforcement of the law and do things that the Trump administration, yes, that's right, the Trump administration was doing more of. They're learning the hard way here that when you just try to be, oh, we're so nice, we're so charitable with with access into America illegally, that's the Democrat viewpoint. It turns out that that creates problems and you have to deal with those problems. But if we're looking for somebody to uh, arrive on the scene who's going to fix everything, We're told it was going to be the vice president, Kamala Harris. She's the border czar, has been the border czar now for a couple of weeks. And she certainly has access to travel anywhere she wants in the whole world, courtesy of the United States taxpayers. She'd hop on a plane, go anywhere she wants to go. 
And it turns out that uh, Kamala Harris has been traveling, at, while she's borders are, a lot all over the country to Chicago, to New Haven, to Washington, to Oakland, to her Brentwood home. You see this crisscrossing the country back and forth. But what about down there at the U.S.-Mexico border? Any, any time down there? Don't you think if you were the borders are, if this was your mandate to try to fix the massive crisis at our southern border, wouldn't you take some time to go and speak to the people who are dealing with this, to see with your own eyes what's happening in these uh, terribly overcrowded facilities, all the spread of COVID that's going on, all the, the pain and agony that these children are being put through when they're dropped off, left at the border, uh, being sent there by parents, by the way. We should really be encouraging in every way we can people to stop sending children through cartel smuggling routes with the cartels actually in charge of their kids to the border. Stop doing this. The problem is as long as the kids get to stay in America while they do this and the parents then have chain migration to them, it's not going to stop. This is the part the Biden administration refuses to accept, refuses to understand, even though it's quite obvious and it's going to keep being quite a problem for them. All right, we got Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs just back. See, Kamala can't go visit the southern border, but Congressman Biggs just went down there. He'll tell us what he saw firsthand right after this break. Let's break down what's currently going on at our southern border. There are more than 19,000 unaccompanied minor children currently in custody. custody. CBP is projecting 184,000 children in 2021 alone. The number of border crossings is the highest it's been in 15 years. Housing facilities that are meant for 250 people are holding more than 4,000 migrants. And we had recently two terrorists from Yemen who were on the FBI watch list who were caught crossing the border illegally. Who knows how many are actually getting through on any given day. President Biden and the so-called border czar, Vice President Harris, haven't been down there once. But our next guest has. He's actually down there right now. Arizona Republican Congressman Andy Biggs visited the refugee resettlement facility in McAllen, Texas yesterday. He joins us to explain what he saw. Congressman, thanks so much. What are you seeing down there? Thanks. Buck, this is uh, as bad as uh, Henry Cuellar's or Ted Cruz's videos show. Uh, it, it is, it's inhumane conditions. Let's just be honest about that. And this administration doesn't care uh, because they're an open borders group. They, they, this is kind of what they want. But just an example of one of the facilities we saw yesterday, what you had is you had literally hundreds of, of individuals and families. These are family units. Buck, there were hundreds of them. And we were we went, we watched, we looked, we saw they're, they're not in the greatest of condition. We left, we come back about an hour later. Those people already were on buses getting ready to be um, processed and, and released within 24 hours, probably somewhere in America. Now, so how quickly, this is one question that still seems to be outstanding here. You mentioned that, that they're being processed in 24 hours because the administration keeps putting out there, uh, Congressman, that most adults are being turned away. Do you have, do you have some sense uh, from talking to people down there as to what percentage of people are actually being deported or immediately turned around and sent back? And also, how long are most adults who are in custody staying in custody before they're released? Do we know those answers? Yeah, let me let me try to break it down because we, you're talking about a different classification. So if you're a, if you're a family group, that's a mom or dad or both together, 
with a, a child under seven years, you're going to be kept in this initial facility uh, less than eight hours, and then you're going to be put on a bus probably somewhere into the interior country. That's how quick that's going. So people we saw last night are probably on a bus or even an airplane, uh, maybe as far as way as Virginia, New England, Washington State, wherever. Uh, if you are a single adult male and you're coming across, they're going to turn you away pursuant to Title 42 authority. But when the pandemic uh, is declared to be over by CDC, then those people will come in uh, because Title 42 goes away. If you are, I mean, you can keep going, breaking this thing down. So uh, when they, when the administration says they're, they're sending most away, they claim that they sent 70,000 away in February, for instance. Well, those of those 70,000, most of those are Title 42 cases. Those Title 42 cases, they're recidivating. They're coming back because they're just taking them to the other side. They're dropping them off at the port of entry. Away they go. And they can come back within an hour, two, a week, whatever. Um, but they also said that they released 36,000 people into the country in February. And don't forget, um, we were up uh, from 100,000 in February encounters to 171,000 in March. Is there any reason to believe that number is going to drop off precipitously uh, in the months ahead? Or is the expectation what it's been, at least up to this point, going to continue, which is that there'll actually be even more next month and the month after that? I think, Buck, we're talking more in, in April, more in May. Um, we'll see how it stabilizes in June because that's the hot months and that's the time that it usually slows down a little bit through the hotter months in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California. But, but there's no reason if this administration continues to keep the welcome mat out and does not say, if Biden does not stand up and say, stop coming, we are going to send you home, then people are going to keep coming. And uh, if, if it, last night's any indication when I was down by the river and we saw groups coming across and groups going, uh, passing us walking, there are signs, Buck, there are arrows on the dirt road saying this is basically, this is where you go to, to get to this facility for a family unit. So uh, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about taking away the, the, the uh, welcome mat. It's still being extended. Uh, by this administration, which those are the incentives that bring people to the United States. What do you make of Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas apparently telling members of ICE on a on an internal uh, call that they're looking now to maybe crack down on sanctuary cities, perhaps begin to prosecute second time offenders who cross illegally? Do you think that they're turning toward some degree of of uh, greater enforcement now? What's happened? Well, Mayorkas is not a, he's not a, a dummy. He understands the border. He understands incentives. And, um, and I've been hopeful that he would actually uh, do some good programs. But if they do crack down on sanctuary cities, and if they do start um, prosecuting a second uh, a illegal border crossings, then I'll believe it when I see it. That would be a, a pretty good idea that you might slow down some of it, but you're not going to be slowing down the, the crux of this, the, the majority of this is coming from family units because they believe that they're going to get some kind of asylum break. And that's what this administration needs to address. And there are ways they could do it. But right now, um, it may be too little, um, quite frankly, too late to, to stop the influx of these uh, illegal Im immigrant families that are coming over. Ilhan Omar tweeted out, member of Congress tweeted out, it's 
shameful and unacceptable for POTUS to continue the construction of Trump's xenophobic and racist <coughs> wall. I don't think a lot of people would have seen this one coming. There's going to be some wall building going on. What can you tell us about this? Well, they're, so far they're just considering um, taking up wherever they have uh, gaps in the wall that they already have the material for. So there are places uh, I've seen in Texas uh, and Arizona where you have just a lot of bollard fencing just laying there waiting to be uh, put up. And they, it just stopped at a dead halt when this administration came in. Of course, they said they would consider that, that the, it would be a moratorium for 60 days while they considered what to do. Well, we're well beyond 60 days, aren't we? So uh, if that happens, I'll be surprised as well. But if they do that, you're still going to have massive gaps because um, some of that, some of the places where there's gaps, they won't be huge gaps, but they are gaps that are there because of design purposes and they need to do special fencing in there. They don't have the special fencing ready yet. So that's part of what that problem is. I also want to ask you about how your state's uh, gearing up here for for reopen and and vaccine passports. We've heard from the Biden administration that vaccine passports aren't going to come directly from the federal government, but they seem to be encouraging somewhat openly, at least. And certainly, I would guess more in back channel that private companies, corporations do this. New York is already taking steps toward a vaccine passport at the state level. What can you tell us? about Arizona, and then just your thoughts generally on vaccine passports across the country. Well, Arizona, they're, they're um, legislators that are trying to uh, get legislation passed to prevent a vaccine passport. So I encourage that. And I'll give you your viewers just a little heads up. Um, I don't know if my staff wants me to do this, but I'm going to do it because I'm a spur of the moment guy. I actually have legislation drafted uh, preventing vaccine passports. Um, uh, at the federal system, and that bill will be introduced tomorrow. So that, that's a heads up for you, Buck. Keep it under your hat because uh, tomorrow's our big press day. All right. Congressman Andy Biggs down on the border. Good to see you, Congressman. Thanks so much. Thanks, Buck. Good to be with you. Yet another Republican governor caves to the trans rights agenda, vetoing a bill that would ban transgender surgeries for children under the age of 18. Why does this keep happening? We'll answer that question in tonight's Buck Brief. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. 
After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop down menu that follows. Ten years ago, if somebody had said, hey, Asa Hutchinson, you're going to be governor of Arkansas and you're going to veto a bill that would have protected children from chemical castration, what do you think you would have said? Well, just like I said today, if you're talking about a reassignment surgery, I would have signed that bill in a minute. But whenever you're talking about maybe less than 200 kids in Arkansas that's currently on hormone treatment and they are immediately cut off without having a grandfather clause in this legislation, I don't think that's treating those kids or their parents or their yeah. health care providers fairly or equally. What the heck is going on with some of these GOP folks right now? That was Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson getting grilled by Fox News host Tucker Carlson last night after he vetoed a bill that would ban transgender surgery and hormone therapy for anyone under the age of 18. The veto was later overturned by the Arkansas state legislature. He's not the first Republican governor to buckle in the face of laws that would protect young people from transgender ideology. Last month, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem came under fire from conservatives, including me, after she killed the bill that would ban biological males from competing in biological women's, or just men and women's rather, sports. A move that she had previously supported. So what is it with this issue in particular that causes otherwise weak conservative governors to go weak in the knees? Or strong conservative governors, rather, uh, to go weak in the knees? Uh, we got to look at that in the buck brief. Seems pretty straightforward, right? You're a Republican governor in a Republican majority state and you have a bill to sign that you've been talking about for a while that the Republican legislature in your state has written and already passed, pretty straightforward, right? There shouldn't be some last minute shock or surprise, but that seems to keep happening. It happened with Kristi Noem in South Dakota, and now the conservative base has largely turned away and said, okay, so she's not a serious national level political figure. You know, it just was a little bit of flash, a little, a little bit of a, you know, of a moment in time, but no, doesn't have it. Doesn't have what it takes. Not, not real, not in this fight. So she's done, it seems, at least at the national level. She'll continue to be governor of South Dakota, but South Dakota has a population that's about the same as San Jose, California, so take that for what it's worth. And then there's Arkansas. Governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson. Now, he had a very straightforward thing to do here as well, where he would have, he would have signed a bill that had already been passed through the state, a state legislature in Arkansas that would have said that if you're a child, remember we protect children from all kinds of things. The children are protected via uh, drinking laws, age of consent laws, they can't vote. There's all these different rules that we have in place as a society for kids. And this bill would have said, look, you can't give a, an adolescent or a teen or a preteen gender blocking uh, drugs or rather uh, hormone blocking drugs to try to halt their gender transition or rather halt their gender affirmation or it's tough to even keep this straight stop them from being the gender they were born with and try to transition into something else uh very straightforward asa hutchinson went on tucker carlson's show in an act of of political self-immolation and decided that it was uh a moment in time for him to explain how this is about being a limited government conservative are you now protecting kids from unproven and clearly highly politicized medical procedures 
that'll have a lasting impact on their lives uh, and is almost always based on the research, which Tucker was pointing out last night, deleterious to their mental and often physical health, not willing to do that, not willing to protect kids? Why? Well, Tucker posed this question, which I think struck a little too close to home for Mr. Hutchinson of Arkansas. My question is, have you spoken to any of the biggest employers, the big companies in Arkansas about this? Have you taken any calls from Tyson's, from Dillard, from Walmart? Has anyone from those companies called you about this bill? Uh, no. I just want to clarify very quickly. Have you, and I just want to be clear on this, have you spoken to any corporate interest in the state of Arkansas about this bill? Tucker, I answered that. I answered that question and I said, no, I have not. Yeah, I don't believe him. Well, be the first politician in history to lie, right? All of a sudden, this guy, this guy takes this action. Why would he do that? He's got to know that the conservative base in his own state and all across the country is going to be outraged. It's just common. It's just a common sense thing, too. Are you a woke leftist? I mean, do you really think that 12-year-olds should take puberty-blocking drugs? The same drugs that they will give to adult criminals to chemically castrate them. You think they should give those to, uh, you know, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds in the state of Arkansas? He already said there are a couple of hundred who are, this is a real thing that happens, who are receiving some form of, of gender, they call it gender affirmation, it used to be gender transition, look at the Orwellian language changes here. Uh, you, you think that they might have an issue with, uh, with that in corporate America? Well, why else would he decide to upset his own base? Well, here's a statement that was signed by dozens of the wealthiest, most influential, powerful corporations. These are companies that write big checks to politicians, to PACs, to political causes, and employ a lot of people as well in states like Arkansas. Here's the statement that was put out. Uh, we are deeply concerned by the bills being introduced in state houses across the country that single out LGBTQ individuals, many specifically targeting transgender youth for exclusion or differential treatment. We call for public leaders to abandon or oppose efforts to enact this type of discriminatory legislation and ensure fairness for all Americans. Uh, preventing people from taking dangerous, damaging drugs is not something that is discrimination. It's meant to protect people from what is both a moral panic and a current, a, a current trend of the left, which the research, which you can actually look into if you're curious, will show you has gone up about 2,000% in the last 10 years. That's right, 2,000%. That seems pretty substantial, doesn't it? When you have that much of an increase in transgender youth, maybe something else is at work here. Maybe there's some societal pressure from adults who want to be woke more than this is really what is best for children or even naturally occurring among children. But look at all the companies that sign on to this. Google, Amazon, Apple, AT&T, Facebook, Hilton, Verizon, Lyft, Uber, Pfizer, PayPal. And that's just the beginning, folks. I mean, you are talking about enormous market capitalization, just with what you saw on the screen there. I mean, Amazon's basically a trillion dollar company. You got these other companies that are worth hundreds of billions of dollars. It's a lot of muscle to push around in politics. So we're supposed to believe that people like Hutchinson and Noam, who, yeah, what's their next stop after being governor of their small population states? Do they want to be on the board of some company? Do they want to be in good with the donor class? Otherwise, why sell out the base? That's, that's really where we are on this. And remember, this is not actually all that new. It's just more in your face than it used to be. 
Uh, remember there was the, the, what was the North Carolina bathroom bill. Back in, in April of 2016, uh, North Carolina law may risk federal aid. Remember this? And there were companies that were going to punish North Carolina in 2016 because they were, they were, there was a bill that said that you had to use the bathroom of your biological sex. Too radical now for the left. Or rather, too reasonable for the left. The left is what's radical. Uh, if you were a 12-year-old boy who believed you're a girl, you're supposed to use the girl's locker room according to the left. This law passed in North Carolina. They said, no, absolutely, you cannot have this. And corporations took action then. And the Obama administration threatened to pull federal funding to the school system there because of it. That's how important this issue is to the left. And we either fight on this and we either push back or we get the Hutchinson treatment. That's, that's what we're seeing. Major League Baseball moving its all-star game from Georgia to Colorado will cost Atlanta businesses $100 million, they assume, in potential revenue, all in the name of wokeness. Retired Major League Baseball player Lenny Dykstra, that's right, from the world champion New York Mets back in the day. He joins us next to give his perspective on big baseball's decision. Woke corporatism ends up squashing the little guy again. After recovering from a year of pandemic lockdowns, Georgia officials say the state could lose more than $100 million for Major League Baseball's decision to pull the all-star game out of Atlanta, move it to Denver. So was it worth it? Joining me now, retired professional MLB player and uh, actually world champion at one point back with the Mets, Lenny Dykstra. Lenny, great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited. So tell me about this. Rob Manfred, the MLB commissioner now, has made this decision. There's a lot of pushback, a lot of national attention. As somebody who played in the league for years, was was on a World Series uh, winning team, uh, one of the best known franchises in baseball, what do you feel like's going on in what's supposed to be America's pastime right now? What's happening to this league? Political. It's, it's, it's becoming political. And, and, and again, when baseball it tries to get involved with political things, it, it, that's not what it's supposed to be, all right? And, and, and again, um, there's, there's no reason or, or, or why baseball should be making decisions based off what, something that's political, okay? And, and again, Rob Manfred, if you look at what he's done so far, he's, he's, the, the attendance has been down before the pandemic hit. Attendance was down seven out of the last eight years, okay? Okay, so, so he's done, so far he's failed miserably. And in fact, Faye Vincent, I think, called him out today in an article. Yeah, Faye Vincent, that's right. The former MLB commissioner did speak out and wrote in the Wall Street Journal about how there's no need to make baseball a weapon in the culture war. Now, I mean, I want to ask you about players from, from your era, you know, who, who are retired now. When they see this happening, is, is it upsetting to some of the, the, the major leaguers that, that you know, your friends and former colleagues? Or do they just kind of expect that this is the way things are trending in all professional sports? Well, it's, 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 it's becoming trending, and, and again, but baseball has, I mean, look, anytime you put a guy on second base when, when, the, when, the, when they're going to extra innings, that's a problem, okay? I mean, extra innings, that's part of baseball, okay? I played a 20 game in Atlanta one time. It was awesome. So, but, you know, but what I'm saying is, is, is Rob Manfred, okay, he, he's not a leader, okay? And, and again, there's some other stuff that's going on that happened with the Mets organization uh, that they were involved in, and again, I don't want to get into that right now. We don't have enough time to talk about it. But again, that's going to hit the, that's going to surface pretty quickly. But again, 
right now Major League Baseball is not supposed to be making decisions based off of political uh, reasons. Now, are you here? Here's uh, President Biden, for example, because I want to talk about how this this is supposed to affect, uh, you know, the the state of Georgia. People speak about this in very general terms, Lenny. But when they move the All Star Game, millions of dollars is not going to be injected into that economy now in Atlanta and the surrounding area. A lot of folks who are just trying to make a living have nothing to do with the political scene, but love baseball or work in or around uh, the stadium in, in Atlanta. Uh, they're going to get hit by this. Here's what Biden said. I want to have you react to it. Let's play it. It is reassuring to see that uh, for-profit operations and businesses are speaking up about how these new Jim Crow laws are just antithetical to who we are. There's another side to it, too. The other side to it, too, is when they, in fact, move out of Georgia, the people who need the help the most, people who are making hourly wages, sometimes get hurt the most. I think it's a very tough decision for a corporation to make. And yet the Major League Commissioner, uh, MLB oh, Commissioner painful. Manfred, decided that the little guy was going to get hurt here, Lenny. I mean, what, what does it feel yeah. like for somebody that was part of this league to see that guys who are selling T-shirts and popcorn in the stands, you know, they're going to make less money? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, the pain of watching Joe Biden speak I mean, I wanted to take a Xanax. I mean, Jesus. I mean, God, Sleepy Joe is the right name for him. I mean, the bottom line, look, New York is 10 times harder to vote, to get to get the votes in than, than, than uh, Georgia, Atlanta, yeah. okay? And so so if you think about it, okay, what happens when the All-Star game comes to New York? What are they, they going to do there? See, what I'm saying, you can't get, like, a little bit in and a little bit out. You either got to play right down the line or, or again, but like I said, I'm still like almost dozed off when I saw, saw Sleepy Joe speaking. You know what I mean? Do you, do you feel like some of the former players might have a role here? And just I'm not saying to even come at politics from the other side, but to speak out. Because, you know, usually it seems we've had a lot of NFL, a lot of NBA players have been taking very political stances. Major League Baseball seems to be less so. This is now putting MLB in the center of this fight. Uh, I mean, you're you're a former player, as we said. You were on a, a World Series winning team with the Mets back in the day. Are there other players like you who you think can at least speak out and say, "Hey, guys, let's let baseball be for everybody and not make this uh, uh, a food fight over politics of any kind"? Well, good, great point, great point. And look, here's the deal: the people like me, they're not involved in baseball anymore. They don't want people out there that 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 tell the truth and speak their the, 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 what the fans want to hear. They want the fans want to hear the truth. Okay, they pay a lot of money to watch these games, and there's a reason why. Even now, remember before the pandemic, Major League Baseball, the the, the fans were the, the the stadium was uh, attendance was down seven out of the last eight years, or six out of the seven, six out of the seven last years. There's a reason for that. Okay, the games just are missing. Something's missing, and and, and again, I don't know what it is, but there's some kind of culture in there that it's not the same as it was when I played and I, it's hard to even watch. All right. Well, Lenny, appreciate you sharing your perspective as a former uh, major leaguer yourself, man. Thanks so much for joining. We'll talk to you again. Yeah. And put next time I want to go to sleep, put Joe Biden on again. You know? <laughs> All right, man. All right, Lenny. Thanks thank you. We'll do, we'll do, buddy. Sleepy Joe sends right. his regards. You take care. Sleepy Joe, man. See you later. Americans are taking notice of the fact that Joe Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure bill doesn't really focus on infrastructure. So what are the Democrats doing? They're changing the definition of infrastructure, the word. I'm serious. That story is coming up in Quick Hits.
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What is infrastructure? Well, if you ask Senator uh, from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand, the better question might be, what is an infrastructure? We got that story and more on tonight's Quick Hits, which is right now, uh, one of my favorite tweets today. This was great. This is classic uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, who is, who's a, a shameless, brainless de a demagogue on all things political. I actually think she poses as somebody who just doesn't know anything because that way she can say whatever she has to for maximum political advantage. So she actually presents herself as even more of an ignoramus than she really is. But this was great. Uh, Paid leave is infrastructure, she tweeted out. This is a sitting U.S. Senator, folks. Child care is infrastructure. Caregiving is infrastructure. No, <laughs> this is like saying, you know, a, a uh, bowl of spinach is infrastructure. You know, a couple of sparrows are infrastructure. You know, six little chipmunks sitting on a branch, eating a lot of acorns on my uncle's ranch. Infrastructure. No, that's actually not how it works. But uh, that is what she said. So I just thought you should note the propaganda here is so thick and so shameless that we can't even agree on the basic definition of words. That's right, cannot agree on the basic definition of words because they wanna say that whatever they pile into this $2 trillion infrastructure package is obviously infrastructure. Wanna pay off some left-wing special interest? Oh, we know what we call that, the I word. You know, wanna, wanna slosh around a whole bunch of cash to community organizers or a Green New Deal lunacy? Use the I word, infrastructure, baby, sure, sure. Uh, now, our friend uh, uh, over, uh, over in the world of making videos, uh, videos on the street, man on the street videos, our, our buddy uh, Avi, he's at it again here, and here's what he's got for whether or not people are in fact correct when they say that it's racist for voter ID laws to exist. We're going to have a bunch of people who are not black answering the question here, and then some people who are black, who are African-American answering the question. Here's how that went. Do you have an opinion on voter ID laws? Uh, yeah, they're usually pretty racist. I think voter ID laws are a way to perpetuate racism. Would you go as far as to say they're, they're, those laws are racist? For sure. Do you think it suppresses the uh, African-American vote? Definitely, uh, because they're less likely to have state IDs. These type of people don't live in areas with easy access to DMVs or other places where they can get identification. Do you think that's harder for black people to go online? Well, IDs? I feel like they don't have the knowledge of how, of like, how it works. Do you carry ID? Yes, I do. Do you know anybody, who, any black person doesn't carry ID? No. Do you have ID? Yes. Because I have my ID and my friends have their ID, so like, we know what we need to carry around. Everybody that I know have ID. Like, that's one of the things you need to walk around with New York with. One of the things you have to walk around New York with. Indeed, walk around everywhere. People have to walk around and find their, uh, have to walk around and have ID. That's, that's normal. That's what we, we expect. And yet, when you look at this, when you see what's going on here, um, there seems to be a lot of liberals who have been told that it's racist, but there are people who are black. In fact, 75% of all people believe in this country that voter ID is totally fine, constitutional, no problem. Um, here's something else I thought was interesting. We had, this, this is in a Target store. The members of the church sent in images of a devotional 
she found in Target. This kind of thinking is a direct result of critical race theory and is completely anti-biblical. I shared the first page on Saturday, but let me now show the whole thing for context. Uh, when you see what it actually says, this is being, this is being uh, sold in a bookstore, or in a Target, rather, one of the biggest chains in the country. Dear God, this is, this is the quote, Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least to want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls, to stop believing that they can be better, that they can stop being racist. Uh, wow. Critical race theory, friends. It, it, it rots the brain and the soul simultaneously, but it'll appear in a devotional, it seems, there. Now, some governors are doing a lot better than others over the course of this pandemic. For example, we have Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who's just done a fabulous job and is getting a whole lot of people moving to his state because of it. Business is booming in his state. On the other side of things, you have uh, governors like Cuomo in New York, who he's just barely holding on to his job. He's just, he's just trying to stay where he is. And then also you have Governor Newsom in California. Now, Cuomo's got a bunch of scandals, some related to the pandemic. Some are actually uh, much more closely related to uh, what's going on in his, shall we say, personal life. Governor Newsom, though, is facing a recall election. That's right, we might get rid, they might get rid of in the state of California, Newsom, who was a hero to liberals during the pandemic. And now he's saying in June, they're gonna open up. Still gonna have a mask mandate, of course, can't give up the mask religion, but they're gonna have a mask mandate. Here is what uh, Newsom says when asked if he's making decisions based upon this. Has the recall effort influenced your decisions and pandemic response? Absolutely not. In fact, quite the contrary. We're just focused on the data, disease prevalence. I'm focused on what's actually happening on the ground. Never. Never. He, Gavin Newsom would not, not in a million years would this guy make a decision about something like locking down his state based upon political considerations. No, never. No interest in that whatsoever. A absolutely not. Wouldn't say, wouldn't say anything about that. So uh, I, I got to tell you, at some point, this becomes too hard for people to, to, to just continue to sit there and say, yeah, you know what? Sure. Gavin Newsom, let's hope this guy actually gets, uh, gets recalled. That would be really helpful. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.